0: listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican-American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican-American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Welcome back to all our listeners. This is the Latin Experts podcast uh, coming at you from Mexican-American, Latino-Latina studies, Latino studies at UT, um, and a variety of other sources here at the University of Texas. My name is Dr. Rachel Gonzalez-Martin, and I'm here with Dr. Belen Lopez. And in honor of it being February and nearing the Dia de San Valentin, it's Valentine's Day. We're going to be talking about a rather fun topic. We're talking about affection. And so Dr. Lopez, Belém, how are you? Uh,
1: hey, Rachel, uh, I'm doing well. You know, I'm excited to be talking about affection and how we talk to each other and express affection yes. in sometimes fun ways, but also ways that would
0: You know, have Abuelita get a little mad at us. I think that's something we need to mention. Our content today is a little blue. I can't remember if we frame our podcast as family-friendly. I would say this is not necessarily kid-friendly. It's not totally explicit, but we are going to be focusing on expletives. We're thinking about expletives and insults and how we as Latinos in our communities have an interesting way of showing affection to the people we love or like or at least don't dislike people that we're close to. So that's what we're talking about today. And but then why don't you give us a little bit of round out, uh, round, uh, a roundabout way of, of what you do and how you do it and why insults matter to you?
1: You know, I'm a trained psycholinguist, linguist on some days, and I'm really interested in figurative language. So figurative language being non literal language. Um, I've done some work on humor and jokes. And I think what attracted me to this topic and, and, you know, having this sort of series uh, on talking about expletives is how we use expletives with, you know, discussing interpersonal functions or expressing closeness with our friends, but also because expletives, they fulfill a particular communicative function, right? That we can't necessarily use or do with everyday language. So As you know this, I'm interested in idiomatic expressions, but I think with expletives, it's really interesting to see these sort of intersections of your social group, but also expressing emotion, using humor, and how it can be used to express solidarity, but also to emphasize like in-group and out-group. So I'm excited to tease these apart today.
0: That's awesome. I was thinking, and this is terrible because... You can tell that I'm only just coming off like a a semester off. (laughs) I'm thinking like, I like bad language. I think bad language. And we're actually thinking, our listeners, maybe you can chime in. We're thinking about doing a recurring series on the podcast called Talking Shit, or maybe even Talking Shit in Latino Communities, Latinx Communities. And this way in which we use language to communicate all sorts of things beyond like Literal, lang- literal meaning, right? Thinking about the symbolic, but also, you know, if we can kind of pull back on scope a little bit, right? We're living in a pandemic right now, right? We're, we're all coming into this full year's time of really being separated from the people we love and care about and the environments that we were used to sort of engaging with people. So even thinking about the banter at the bar, right, or the banter on the bus, right, anywhere we're all kind of confined together, you know, our language can get a little bit blue. We can get a little bit sassy or angry, but not necessarily in a way that we're really hostile, right? There are ways in which we show affection, that are very much place-oriented and even time-period-oriented. When Balem and I were talking about getting this topic together, and originally we were going to record in the morning and kind of laughed, like, this isn't really like before breakfast kind of conversation. (laughs) This is nighttime talk. And so even- this (laughs) is after 5 (laughs) (laughs) p.m. Totally. This is the it's 5 p.m. somewhere kind of talk. And so even thinking about that, right, we have a certain view on the topic, you know, this idea of language and the kinds of language and insults and expletives. But we also know that in Latinx communities, right, this language is all over the place, right? This idea of, you know, Belémior worked thinking about like mixing language, thinking about code switching, even just thinking about age appropriate language, right? You work with, with brokers. So the idea that like, you know, you could be seven years old and, No medical terminology because you have to, right? So even just thinking about the ways in which language and the presence of certain kinds of vocabulary transcend what people might expect in certain communities just because of life circumstances, I think is really interesting. And so I'm a folklorist, so I'm less technical than uh, Bilem is when we're talking about dirty words and bad words and bad language. But my love of language has always been about the idea of there's dictionary definitions of words. And then there's how people use words. And I love getting into arguments with people about denotational meaning. And, you know, well, that's not what a word means. I was like, yeah, but that's how I use it. And my friends use it. So why do I, why do I need to change that when it does work in my community, the way that I needed to do work, right? There's a successful, right, communicative dialogic engagement. So I don't need to worry about what the Real Academia Española says a certain word means, right? Or even just the Webster's Dictionary.
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, Real Academia doesn't really take into consideration how language has changed, particularly in the Americas, right? Like, Absolutely. No. We don't we don't speak in Castellano. Um, you know, <laughs> no. Ana Celia Zentella fought for a long time for them to include Spanglish. Right. And they didn't even want to recognize Spanglish as a word where it's like, we all use the word Spanglish. So basically these sort of, I want to call them archaic, but yeah, they're archaic forms of like yeah. policing language and telling us what is... What functions as a word, what does it? But communities, one language changes, but also communities use words in particular ways, and words can take on additional meaning.
0: Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Like I remember
1: yeah, like, you know, as a heritage Spanish speaker, using words like carpeta to refer to a notebook, even though I know that's quote unquote not the correct way, but right. we have a way of, you know, reformulating language and that's one of my interests as well.
0: Oh, I completely agree. This idea that there are ways in which there's a ways in, there's ways in which people manage resiliency and manage sort of their power the power dynamics in the world at large by controlling what comes out of their mouth or choosing not to control depending on who's watching what comes out of their mouth. And I think a lot of that when we think about expletives and I wrote my first big sort of research project, well, I guess my last big research project as an undergraduate was on the word cabron, right? Was thinking about this male, male insult that's very Mm -hmm. sexualized. But I grew up with that term. It wasn't, it wasn't like I, I kind of make fun. It wasn't fighting words. It was play fighting kind of words. And so, so, you know, thinking about how language, language like releases or materializes these different nuances of relationships that aren't you know, kind of humorously, they're literally not black and white, they're brown, right? There's an in-between sort of cultural interpretation of what's going on. And so you were talking just a second ago about essentially language ideologies, right? It's not even what right. language is doing. It's how we feel about using it, how, we, how we're how we told to judge people based on what, of how they're saying something, not what they're saying. And that I think haunts us as a community, right? Thinking about whether it's being a heritage speaker and then being put into ESL in kindergarten, because there's a presumption of your capacity or like me, right. My family gave me, you know, Spanish language flashcards as a kid and expected me to like pick it up, but they didn't want me. They didn't want to speak to us directly because they didn't want us to have an accent when we went to school because they had their own sort of hangups about growing up Spanish speakers, you know, decades before.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, that. I love that you brought up, like, being given Spanish flashcards. (laughs) Growing up, for us, we could only speak Spanish at home. I I tell my mom that she was, like, a linguistic police woman. Sure. Like, the minute we crossed the door, it became a rule that ya no sabla ingles. Because my parents were, you know, they were recent immigrants, and they thought that we wouldn't learn to speak Spanish. Sure. And then when we spent summers in, like, Juarez, it was the same thing. And then my dad, he's interesting as well, because he grew... He knew how to speak English by the time, like, I think I was born, but he refused to speak to me in English as a kid because he, like, he had his own ideologies about his own languages where he was very nervous that he would pass on my his accent to me. Oh,
0: think about that. Or, and
1: to my brother. So, it, yeah, so it's really interesting to think about, like, how these ideologies persist intergenerationally, how they affect, you know, uh, language socialization practices and how it's definitely tied to identity right Absolutely. um and then speaking spanish as a heritage speaker and then being called like a pocho or a pocha and then that creates all these anxieties Lord, where yes. it's like <laughs> this is the spanish that i know and right. but i think it all comes from you know these I, these prescriptive ideologies about language that spanish should be spoken a, in a particular way english should be spoken in a particular way which really we don't follow grammatical rules when we're speaking You know, like, interpersonally, like, we use double negatives all the time. I don't pronounce all my ings, you know, I I drop.
0: (laughs) But even if we think about, like, you know, trying to, thinking about the diversity within English speaking and Spanish speaking in diasporic Latinx communities, right? What people have learned at home, what they learned at school, what they learned from people in their peer groups, right? Um, And then thinking about what comes out of people's mouths, (laughs) is mm-hmm. creative, right? We, we don't really give people the latitude to be creative and say that that's on purpose, as opposed to wanting to say, this means you're capable and this means you're not, right? So thinking about how right. those ideologies overlay. But you said something that I think really helps us transition to this idea of our own maybe personal stories and feelings, is the ways in which a lot of these terms, when we think about language, a lot of the language, particularly bad language that we use, <laughs> um, marks who we're talking to as people that we know really, really well, right? And a lot of times that could be family. I will say I learned the most Spanish language expletives at home, not necessarily totally. from the uh, <laughs> the stereotypical cholos or cholas that my parents assumed would be bad influences because I don't know how class works, but it was at home that yeah. I learned how to cuss in Spanish, <laughs> you know? And I think that's powerful, right? Because it isn't always about being the lowest level resource. I think that's something that's really important to emphasize. I think both of us agree, right? The ways in which expletives and insults and what seemingly is quote unquote marked as bad language is actually a really adept transformation of language and use. Right? Right. Yeah. So let's think, so we're thinking about personal stories of insults. We're thinking about Valentine's day and love and showing affection and even how we mark we mark these boundaries around us by how we speak to people. Um, I remember <laughs> now that I think about it from my grandmother and maybe I'm traumatized, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I was a little girl, my grandmother would call me Nalgona. As in big butt <laughs> or right. big butted girl, which, you know, as I thought about it growing up, I'm sure I was horrified because to me that was just, Oh God, you're, you're acknowledging my body and I have body image issues. But even now, kind of looking back, right, the reason she called me that was because she felt that close to me, right? Yes, it was also a a dig at my body, but it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't just that. And it had this layering of meaning and it definitely had love attached to it. That's not to say we all have a healthy sense of what love is, but I think but, that and it's a, also
1: intimate. Yes, right? it is. It's, it's also intimate, like not just anyone on the street could call you that or could call you that without you responding with, in some way.
0: Exactly. Exa- and I think that's something, you know, that we're kind of thinking about is that part of these like insults and these, these sort of linguistic gestures towards relational identities have to be done right. Because if you're going to hurl insults at people and you get it wrong, you're going to get, you know, hit. You're going to get screamed (laughs) at. You're going to get slapped by someone, right? If someone off the street yelled, "Nalgona," I would give someone the finger and be really angry at this public display of disrespect. Right. But that was not how I responded to my grandmother. Clearly different relationships. What about you, do you have any, do you have any of these sort of traumatizing examples that, that exemplify our point here?
1: I think in last time, the last time on the podcast, we talked about how like my family called me Prieta, but I was thinking of like, and that one was the one where it was about like, I couldn't be outside for too long because I was playing sports. But another one that comes to mind and I don't, this one isn't as traumatizing. It's just kind of funny. So I do want to bring in some humor. My mom refers, refers to my brother and I as her fails. Like we're her uglies and she calls me ojona fea. So like ugly eyes or like big eyes. like Ugly big eyes, and my right? bro- Yeah. Ugly big eyes. And my brother is her flaco feo. So like <laughs> we're both fails, but it's on two different Level. body parts. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always asked my mom, like, where did that come from? And she said that when I was born, she thought I was really ugly. So, so your mom's like, got a
0: sense of humor is what she's saying.
1: Totally. <laughs> and, and apparently, when she called me ugly when I was born, my abuelita like yelled at her and was like "Estás pendeja, Yeah. And so it's to me, it's just kind of funny. My mom is a very funny woman. Um, she hates that I use her as an example for linguist for we'll linguistics. Make her famous, all the time. Valemme,
0: We'll Make her famous. It'll be great. Uh, yeah, maybe. We have full but, respect for you, senora, I promise. Yeah, but totally. thinking about She's that, not right? gonna <laughs> She's not going to listen. She might. But so think about this, she, right? This idea of. Um, You know, our parental relationships, right? Or even like your mom being chastised by her mother, right? Through understanding that there is a power to what we say to one another. But also, I mean, she's your mother, right? So any physical traits that she maybe doesn't like on you, possibly lead back to her, right? It might be something she feels about herself. So we think about that bodily intimacy right there's definitely a there's definitely a closeness to that right if she's she always thought of herself as super flaca in a way that was insulting that she was self-conscious about you know your brother now reflects that and if she's got so you know proportionally large eyes as you do my friend then maybe that's you know her connection (laughs) is more like oh yeah I'm saying that which sounds kind of mean but I'm also kind of proud because that shows that you're my daughter Right. So almost like claiming people, right? The idea. But again, if you take it out of context, or even you take it out of a cultural context, right? All of a sudden it gets a little bit dicey, right? People from an outside of your community saying, Wow, your parents are are very um, you know, are cruel. You're like, Well and they're mean. They're mean. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, actually, well, yes, but no, it's not not the not in the same way. So even understanding that, you know, in diaspora, even when we live in the United States. The things we bring with us, the ideologies, the histories, the languages that then transforms, you know, in the present, it's all new, right? It's emergent. Like in folklore, we would call it, you know, in like the the, the naming that you share with your brother, with your mom, right? Like that couldn't exist in another place. It's completely a function of you being siblings and you being her children and her personality coming together with how you were born, right? Or what, you know, what you look like just happened to be looking like when you were born. Um, so kind of in the, in the same vein as insults, we're kind of getting a little more graphic, like thinking about expletives. Can you, as a, as a linguist, Belen, can you define for our audience, what, what do we mean by expletives?
1: So I think today the way we're kind of defining expletives might be like words that people might find as taboo, maybe not something you'd probably say in the office, yes. but they are words that we use to, In and, and I want to contextualize them because when we use expletives, expletives aren't the literal meaning, right? It's yeah. it's a, an additional meaning or it's a meaning that's taken on by who's using these words. It could be within a friend group because I think it's important to also talk about like how words are used within our friend groups, Absolutely. maybe even within our like colleagues, but also within our family because so, sometimes those fears don't necessarily overlap. And what you might say, you know, with your friend group, if you said it in a faculty meeting, might get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> true story you know, i believe that yeah
0: i believe that. i feel like we understand <laughs> yeah so, <that.
1: laughs> yeah like I, I we yeah and today we're using a lot of humor so a lot of these expletives we're going to be talking about different phrases that we might use maybe swear words but they might also be words that you know just have taken a different meaning um, absolutely
0: no that's great right that gives us a sort of a rounding at the edges and really what i was going to add to that right as someone who's interested in how people communicate in particular cultural contexts, right? Particularly Latinos, maybe uh, women, maybe people that identify as Chicanx or Puerto Rican, right? Those are going to be different social and cultural contexts, even temporally, right? Something that was an Mm -hmm. expletive 50 years ago. And in fact, a lot of the terms that I think we're going to be thinking about now are really changed over time based on different sort of developments in social ideologies. Our feelings about what they literally mean inform how we figuratively use them. Right. And I think that's important um, to understand. Right. So we're seeing we're seeing this idea of shift in values. Right. And then an understanding of, of again, society changing. So let's get mm-hmm. into some of our examples. Belem. I don't know where you want to okay. start, but I'll let you start um, and I'll dive in <laughs> after oh, you. OK. Um, I th- well, we have a lot of words. Um, we do. We're very good at developing so- examples. We'll probably have to lump them together for the sake of our yeah. listeners. Should we
1: start with like uh mamon? Yeah, let's start with mamon. That's Go one we had it. we had talked about earlier. So yes. so yeah, if you refer to someone as like a mamon, you it means you're basically saying like don't suck or like you suck a lot, right? Like Right. But it's also to be asshole,
0: right? right. That's another word. So, but. but again, the idea of I heard that word in my home, right? So that's definitely a word that comes for me at least, comes from a very domestic, intimate, home life kind of situation. And I've always been interested in thinking about what exactly is being sucked, because we understand that there's a variety, because I was talking to some students about it in my folklore class, and it was specifically, we were using it in the context of like essentially two males talking to each other. And one male chastising the other, like for saying something kind of lame or silly. And so we're Mm -hmm. sucking specifically referenced like breastfeeding and this idea of thinking about the person who spoke as being sort of childlike or not a man, right? That's where sort of the insult came from. I'd be curious to think about other, how else you've seen that interpreted? Because it was really difficult to come to it in class and, and to try to get it in context and understand where where sucking was being identified. <laughs> yeah, I, th-
1: I think you bring up a good point because I, I would think, and I don't know, and we've talked about this, the you know, the history of this word or how it oh, came yeah. to be. But like if if we take it back, I, I think it could be related to like sort of infantile. What is yes. It Infantilizing yes. a person. If we think about breastfeeding and a baby. I, I don't know if like we could throw in some queer theory in this sure. as well. If it's like two heterosexual men telling each other, Absolutely. like, no says mamon, no mames. No mames. Because, um, yeah, like, what what is that doing? Where does the insult come from? Absolutely. Right? Well, really you We're know, trying to for, tease this true. apart.
0: Yeah. It's, it comes from feminization, right? Yeah. What's the worst thing you could be as a, a Latino man is identified as a woman particularly because of narratives of a presumed sexual behaviors, right? It's about, it's about penetration. It's about being a top versus a bottom, right? Which we'll see kind of get turned on its head, right? So we think about expletives in our community, right? We, you know, and it's Valentine's, (laughs) we're getting close to Valentine's (laughs) Day. So kind of thinking about where sexuality and gender fit into these, because so much of our culture as you know, as a product of Catholicism, as a product of conservative social values, you know, we could talk about colonialism and the transformations yeah. of gender ideologies in the new world, but we don't have time for that. But what we can That's say, another episode. That's a totally different episode, folks. But the idea that sexuality is at play here, right? Using sexuality right. as symbolism and then taking back those terms, right? Taking back some of these ideas. So I love to sort of move. Just for a second, and I think you know, getting to sort of have one or two more really good examples is thinking about this idea of the term putería. Do you want to share what that means, or what you 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 consider putería to mean? Sure, I you know, like when you hear about like
1: oh, and que andan en la putería, it's basically slut shaming people, yes. right, or talking about being promiscuous about people's sexual sexual encounters, or just yeah. like
0: it's hallway. you know like. <laughs> It's talking, te- ah, it's, it's using, yeah. it's using, you know, it's essentially an allusion to sex work that's negative, right? As opposed to right. being, right? And so part of thinking about puteria or even using the term, we were talking about this and bringing up the idea of um, queer people, particularly queer men or gay men uh, or non-binary folks using puta as a way to refer to femme friends, um, right. isn't about shaming as much as it is is about acknowledging like, a sex-positive identity that's distinctly different from how puteria would be used, let's say, in our grandparents' generation or our parents' generation,
1: right? Yeah, totally. I like this reclaiming of these terms, right? Yes. Like, so language does change, but also reclaiming these terms to where they begin to lose the sort of negative connotations. And I like that you brought up, like, it makes them more sex-positive as opposed yeah. to slut-shaming or telling talking about people hoeing around where it's like people can do what they want as long as they don't hurt others,
0: right? Absolutely. But this is part of that sort of the layers, right? I think that's something that's that's complicated, particularly in our community, right? Because we have the layers of, let's say, cultural identities, whether it's diverse Latinidades, which is a word we don't really like. Talk about an expletive, right? Um, mm-hmm. Latinidades. But the idea of diverse community histories, right? And then on top of that, you add questions of class, of gender identification, of sexual identification, or sexual of desires, right? And then you, then you try to put, like, push all of that through a single word, and you're never going to get one, one, one simple answer. And so I know that something we really wanted, we sort of talked about was like, the again, the reclamation of pejoratives, right? What does it mean right. to take back these words that before, and, and this sort of gets us thinking about this of example, right? Hoteria. Right, where we're going back to this idea of sexuality and this idea that a term that was used as an accusation, right, to be a hot or a hota, right, to be outed yeah. in a very aggressive, very dangerous kind of to way, just, yeah. has absolutely been reframed, right? Whether it's you know hoteria as a conference, you know, <laughs> for intellectuals <laughs> thinking about queer theory and, and brown communities, or even just to, you know the passing Friday night joke of what are we doing tonight you know, being yeah. gay, being queer and being proud. Right. As opposed to right. like hiding out with those kinds of terms. But I'd love to hear more your thoughts either on these or, or, or other terms that sometimes I think, we, you know, culturally and socially we take for granted because we're thinking in English, but we're also having to think in Spanish and we have to think of the cultural history of the U S but we're also thinking of a cultural history of people who find themselves marginal in the U S.
1: Yeah. So thinking about like the word I kind of love the word um, <laughs> I like words but it, <laughs> me too babe, I, me I too. think yeah and you know I, I keep thinking about age groups and yes. you know we use these words in very particular ways for our particular age group and I keep thinking about like where's this gonna be in like 10 15 maybe 20 years from now absolutely right because if we think about like our parents and our grandparents generations these are very negative terms to
0: them right like yes. if I
1: were to say, you know, and that was in a puteria, my mother would like clutch, you know, the Bible or something. I feel or like, like I would get hit
0: I, I know. Yeah, I feel like, like that doesn't sound right to say, but I think that kind of dramatic slap to the face by the priest or something would be actually to be seen as totally acceptable if I said I was you know, just, just going out for some puteria with my friends Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, and I, I'm
1: interested like you know how this, even in our lifetime, these wor- these free these phrases, but also these words, have taken on different meaning, and how they continue to change and evolve. Absolutely, that's kind of where my my thinking is. I learn, I love to learn from my students, and they give me new words, and I I also think about how they use this. So I'd love to hear from the listeners if these yes. words have taken any new form that maybe you and I aren't privy to. Because yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, are we, older? Yeah. Oh, it's rough. This is a rough moment to realize. Yes, absolutely. Right. This idea, particularly, I mean, generationally, right. We, we pay attention to our students and even the number of proactively gender nonconforming students who have different you know pronouns and are very conscious of this identity i feel like our student body is definitely growing in those distinctions and so the idea of hoteria maybe that's too you know all of a sudden that has a new negative connotation because it right. it, 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 it it adds an identity that is not selected right so it doesn't ha- it doesn't do the same work because the world has changed right and it right. may do it may do the same work in certain communities but not 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 the way that we might assume let's say 20 somethings are considering these terms. Um, I think that's actually really powerful, right? But I think we need to, you know, we're, we're kind of heading to that place where, what do we think our takeaway is, right? Although we want to give people fantastic vocabulary to use, I want everyone who are listening to us to really lean into puteria and hoteria and thinking about what does it mean to say no mames,
1: so, yeah,
0: we won't want bringing back you know sh- the 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 enthusiasm around expletives, right? We do not have to be ashamed of how creative we can get with words. But I think um we really need to understand the complexity of some of these ideas. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think the complexity and what these words mean in particular contexts, in particular groups, understanding that there is a history to these words. Right. And how that history has changed and how it's going to continue to change, I think, are important takeaways for these words. And also I agree I'm no. all for reclaiming of words, you know, like I, I think we should also think about that as well and kind of propose that to our listeners. Think about how these words can are have been reclaimed, are going to probably be reclaimed again or change,
0: change. I, I was going to say this embracing of change, but also like, you know, the way in which language language is is a a materialization of our world and a materialization of our values, but maybe not in the direct way people think, right? The ways in which our communities are changing, the ways in which our ideologies are changing. Um, and even if we laugh or we think about, you know, terms that we associate with something that you're supposed to whisper, but now we're, we're screaming them out to the world, there's something to that, right? There's a, there's a creative way people are asserting who they are and who they want to be. And I think we really need to start paying attention, Right. Or we need to be more mindful about how we interpret good language and bad language. Um, But I think, you know, you know, onward to more puteria, Right. Understanding what this might mean. You know, what does it mean? Uh, And all the things that it could mean. So this idea of possibility and potential, I think is really I think it's really powerful.
1: So we're Absolutely. winding down.
0: Do you have any final <laughs> thoughts for our listeners, Belen, um, as we send them out to self-consciously document their <laughs> their expletives and those they love and the, the pet names they give their partners <laughs> that may or may not be G-rated? Um, any thoughts?
1: I no I, I think I am good. I, maybe we can end with like Viva la Putería.
0: Oh, that sounds um, good. Viva la Putería. <laughs> that's that's where we're going with this. We're really excited everyone yeah. stopped in to listen with us today. We will see everybody next time. Thanks, Belem. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. Hi all.
1: This is Ashley Navamonteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at latinostudiesut to keep the conversation going.